Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're going to talk about educating the next generation of journalists. University is the main way for people to enter the journalism industry, especially in the UK where 9 in 10 journalists hold a university qualification. But what sort of a journalism should they be teaching? With the news and media industry under constant chop and change, how do journalism schools know what to focus on? That's the key question at the heart of a new book called Challenges and New Directions in Journalism Education. Today, we're speaking to the book's editor, Karen Fowler-Watts, a former BBC senior producer who spent two decades at Bournemouth University as a professor and head of the journalism school. We wrestle with the traditional skills for young journalists, as well as the new and evolving ones, and how journalism schools and news organisations can work together towards their shared goal, producing top-class, industry-ready journalists. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Karen, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming onto the show. My pleasure. It's lovely to see you, Jake. Lovely to see you, <laughs> Karen. Um, you've you've had your you know feet in in both the academic and practical world throughout of your career, ten years or, or or more, twelve I think at the BBC, before really shifting gear and and pursuing um, a large part of your career in the academic world, most notably with Bournemouth University. What I'd like to ask, just to kind of kick things off, is what was the moment for you that you decided I really want to pursue. Uh, journalism education? Um, That's a very interesting question because I'm not sure that it was um, quite so clear-cut as that, if I'm honest. Um, I absolutely loved working in the industry and um, it was was partly geographical. It was moving um, to the south coast with a young baby and thinking about how the world and life in the industry might combine with that um, and then actually just a colleague who told me about Bournemouth University and its very highly regarded journalism course. And when I looked a little closer, I thought, yeah, I, I really would be interested in, in this. And I suppose the theme is the thread through all of this is my real respect for education and my belief in the importance of education. And having benefited myself from some amazing educators in my life who were life changing for me at school and at university. Um, that's a sort of thread that's run through everything, I think, really. And and also the people I learned from at the BBC within a sort of mentoring, mentee capacity. A chance to pass the torch on, I suppose, and, and to pass on what you've learned. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And um, I remember telling a bunch of us, all practitioners, standing in front of some undergraduate students, freshers who just arrived, and saying what a, an amazing you know, of course it was and what an amazing place we worked in. And one asked us, well, you know, if if the world that we're going to go out into is so amazing, why why have you decided to come into this? And it is a good question. You know, if journalism is so amazing, why leave it? But I, I also don't see myself as ever having cut myself off from industry. I think you always continue to have that dialogue. And particularly with journalism, you have to remain current and thinking about the current debates and issues. And well, I mean, more important now, perhaps than ever. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. You must have seen so many stars come through the ranks during your time. When you think back, you know, about some of those names that you've that you've seen, what unites them? What's the consistent like star quality amongst them? That's a really interesting thing to think about because I like to think of every student as unique and they are. They're all individuals and very different, but I I think when 
they're at university, they're generally doing a lot of things in addition to their course, uh, engaging with um, extracurricular work, which is of relevance and perhaps not always of relevance because, of course, journalism for me is about everything. So you might be stacking shelves in a supermarket and there's a story in that. But they're always, always working hard, an amazing work ethic and the ability to find original ways of telling those stories. I would say that that's a pretty common theme for me in the, what you call the star graduates. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, what do you love most about your job right now? I have quite a lot of autonomy within it, which is really great. So I can follow things of in, that are of interest to me and that I hope might be of interest to others and have some impact on the world. If that doesn't sound too grand, I like the idea of being able to drive change, which I believe education can do and inspire thinking about change and improving society. Um, and I, I like being involved in projects that have that as their um, focus. Mm-hmm. And I also, I, I I love producing books that I hope people will read, books that I hope are readable and not going to collect dust on a shelf. <laughs> well, I couldn't have asked for uh, a better segue than that, um, Karen, because you've just published a brilliant book, uh, Changes and New Direction in Journalism Education, with some uh, contributions from some, from some of your peers in both education and the you know, practicing industry. Um, and what I find just really refreshing about uh, the book is you're grappling with essentially the question, what sort of a journalism do we need to teach to youngsters of today, aspiring journalists of today? You know, what is it that they really need to be equipped with as they head into the industry? Why do you feel like this is such a pressing question today? I mean, it's an edited volume. So um, I I was the editor, but but it's a collective of us who who came together. And I think our, our common a shared belief is based on the importance of listening and that means listening to students and what they think they are need to know and are interested in as well as listening to industry and what their needs are mm-hmm. and then listening to the requirements of the academy and our own thoughts as people who've all come from very different areas of the journalism industry um, and bring trying to bring all of those things together to think about first as you've said these challenges that we face within journalism education and then the new directions that we might be able to take journalism education in and journalism practice we felt that it was something that we really wanted to produce having had these conversations within our small research group which is called the journalism education research group um, at, at Bournemouth University and working with some colleagues who were outside side of the university but part of the group and we've I suppose also really thought very hard about do we really know what journalism we should be teaching ourselves? You know, we had a very, a, a really honest look at, at our own practice. And, you know, I've, I've encountered people in more international forums who've said, well, you know, particularly where in America where J schools are such a predominant sort of thing, who said what we really need to do is rip down all the J schools. And that really stuck with me when I heard that because... You know, I think you can easily think, oh, we're a J school and we're accredited, so industry must think we're great and we're doing all these things and the students are really busy and they're getting jobs, so it's all fine. But actually, the industry is changing so dramatically and so quickly, as we know, and there are so many challenges and pressures and have been now for really quite a long time, beyond debates about the business model, I think, or new technologies. Um, And obviously, we had the pandemic, which shifted everything. 
we thought, well, how can we capitalise on some of the benefits from the pandemic as well, the things that we did in a really interesting, innovative, agile way, and make sure we bake those into our, our teaching going forwards. And also, you know, let's take a long, hard look at journalism practice and see whether there's something that journalism education could maybe teach it <laughs> rather than always responding to it yeah. and being reactive to for sure. And we will certainly cover some of those enduring elements of journalism as well as some of the evolving ones um, in in the course of this conversation. But the other thing I find really refreshing is that the contributions in the book have really sought to get the students' perspective on their concerns, how they perceive some of these challenges. I just wonder, is there any kind of element of that that really stood out to you and you thought, I didn't expect students to say that at all? Was there anything that really caught your eye and caught your attention yeah when we were sort of working on the book each of the chapter authors came up with a question a burning question that they felt they'd like to get some sort of student response to and I took that into a few of my classes and ran some um, discussions around the different questions and the thing that really struck me I don't know whether it surprised me particularly but it was overpoweringly evident was this need for the the industry to be more inclusive Mm. and um the fact that it was although there are industry protocols in place that are certain organizations that are perhaps doing a bit better on that than others ultimately it's still been incredibly sluggish and you know i i think there's a chapter in the book which is written uh, it was a conversation that i had with two young black journalists they feel this huge responsibility Every day they go into the newsroom because everyone looks to them to be the expert in the room if there's ever a story which is about, you know, racial tension or um, and anything to do with, with any aspect of diversity, inclusivity, equality. That's a lot for them to bear. And the students were very struck when they heard, I played that conversation back to them, struck by that chapter. Struck in what way? What did they really make of that? They weren't that mixed themselves as a group, but there was there was a bit of a mix, actually. So there were some autobiographical moments in the conversation where they absolutely it chimed with with them, particularly obviously students who, who were from similar backgrounds. Uh, they also made very compelling points about social class as well as race. And, the, you know, how difficult it is to get into journalism if you don't perhaps have the advantage of a parent who's working in the industry who can get you an internship and so on and shared it within the conversation the difficulties they had faced themselves in terms of even affording to travel to opportunities and the students were really taken by that they were they really were very affected by it and struck by it and they felt it really really mattered and they wanted to make a difference themselves as well both within the way their stories that they told the sources they tapped into for those stories and the way they conducted themselves within a newsroom. Just a quick one from me, and then we get back to the episode. Our digital journalism conference, News Rewired, is two weeks away, and we'd love to see you there. Join us for a day of panels and workshops at Reuters HQ in London on the 15th of November. Our events are designed to give you the latest industry knowledge to take back to your newsroom. And we'll be discussing everything from generative AI to community building to news podcasts and much, much more. Head over to newsrewired.com to grab your ticket and we'll see you there. I just recently did a podcast about um, essentially the weight that is placed on people from marginalised backgrounds uh, and marginalised groups to push for better standards of reporting and push for their stories to be told. 
that can result in them being very burnt out when that change is not necessarily realized. And one of the kind of the antidotes to that really are champions and allies from overrepresented groups to carry that torch for them when the weight is too much to bear. And so I kind of see it as quite a positive thing that this is at least bringing to light and bringing an awareness of journalists who are going to head into the industry who might be from those more represented groups who are more cognizant and sensitive about the need for more you know marginalized voices and more diverse voices in journalism. I think that's completely true and I think that example that I shared of of the two young journalists I I talked to um saying that they felt they carried a lot of responsibility yeah. particularly of course when black lives matter was big in the news you know and and um every day they go into the newsroom and people would turn to them as the, as I say as the expert in the room and they felt that was a and but then they might this is in this is in the book chapter might go to the the barber that evening for a haircut and they'd say well you know why why isn't this on the telly or why aren't I seeing this and so wherever they turned they felt that they were individually responsible and so yeah if there are champions for more marginalized voices from as you say better represented groups um, I think that is one way to go I mean there are other things I think that could definitely be done um, within the academy in terms of trying to retain students you know you can find that you're giving offers to students but they don't then necessarily come because they don't see enough people who perhaps look like them either teaching them or in the room with them at an open day or wherever that is and also I think within industry the bursary schemes that used to run which um, certainly one of the, the young guys I interviewed had benefited from and he makes the point that those have now gone you know so he wouldn't probably now even now have the opportunity that he had 15 years ago. Well, that's interesting. I think I got one of those bursaries, Karen, just FYI. Um, It's interesting you saying about the strong moral compass, because I think this is one of the other, one of the real enduring skills that young journalists really see as important is a sense of purpose in journalism, a sense of value, that sense of doing good, strong societal purpose of journalism. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's a very strong sort of civic conscience. I, there is one chapter in the book, though, which does talk about how challenging it is for journalism educators, because we find that often a lot of young people aren't necessarily so interested in politics. And, you know, in particular, if you're accredited by the National Council for the Training of Journalists, the NCTJ, they require a public affairs module. So everyone's learning about local government and, you know, the, the workings of um, of government, which of course is vitally important in order to be able to understand the working of society or to be able to have an impact as well. Um, but that can be a bit of a turnoff and can be a bit dry. And one of the one of the chapters, which is written more as a personal essay by the tutor who's been tussling with this, looks at how can we make this engaging, you know, through case studies or maybe just speak the language of the, the students who want to be civically engaged and are interested in doing good within society, as you say but don't necessarily connect that to their what they might see as very dry and boring public affairs um, teaching that they have to do yeah. for their NCTJ diploma. Any ideas how to make public affairs a bit more sexy and interesting then? <laughs> well, um, the the author of that particular chapter uses case studies a lot and you, has the news on throughout the class and will turn and draw live examples. And there are, of course, so many great, you know, amazing examples now with the heart of the COVID inquiry, for example, so they can see, right. you know, live and, and, and sort of un- unravelling in front of them. So I think that, that, you know, just trying to make it as applied as possible, but 
also I think being very honest and I think it's important to be very honest with potential journalism students that there are aspects of this which are perhaps not very sexy you know media law is not that exciting but you don't want to be ending up in court so you've got to know your law the same with public affairs and and you know the nctj diploma is is there for a reason in 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 that it is training journalists in all yeah. the things that they need to know any other really enduring skills that are, are seen as really vital for journalists to know as they head into the industry um we do think that they still need to find time to reflect think about what they are becoming, what sort of journalists they want to be. This is what I mean by the touchy-feely intangibles. Notions of becoming, you know, and we're, we're interested in watching the, the development, of course, and, and being part of the development of the, the student into, into trainee journalist, into journalist. But how do we help to equip them with emotional literacy, media literacy, resilience, staying safe online, particularly important these days, as well as uh, physically, of course, and that was when you talked about what the students were interested in, that was another thing they were really, really exercised by and really interested in. And or thinking about, you know, which institutions do they trust and how safe do they feel about going out and doing their job? And I would think that those feelings have probably been sharpened even more by, you know, we were talking in the heart of the Ukraine conflict. But now yeah. we have the, the terrible things that are happening in the Middle East and so many journalists killed. So, you know, they they think about those things. So equipping them to make sure that they are safe online and physically and resilient and ethically aware and aware of themselves and able to be themselves. All of that is really, really important. You made me realise that the students have lived through a couple of really historic years from the pandemic through to now two really major wars. What impact do you think that's had on their sense of values towards, as you were saying, the mental health element, the resilience element, the safety element? That must have really brought those challenges into sharp focus. Yeah, it has. It really has. And I, I think I think there are various things that we can do. We have a connection with the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma. So every year, all of my students who are just before they leave are trained uh, in um, self-care and trauma awareness which I think is a really important thing to do and I think for institutions who who can't can't do that there are amazing resources on the Dart Centre website but you're right the context is challenging the other thing I think is really helpful is the lived experiences of others who have reported on these things and for the students to hear those they can access them through books of course but if you can get visiting speakers sit down to engage with students to talk about these things to show their workings and to show the challenges they faced and how they didn't always necessarily feel very confident about what they were doing. Being really honest and sharing stories that are useful and credible for the students so that it's not like coming in and sitting on a bar stool and telling war stories, as I always say. It's about being really honest, often being really quite indiscreet in terms of what they do share. But I think that can really help um, students who are just embarking on their because, you know, they may not be sent to a war zone, they probably won't be, but they might have to cover a terrible car crash, or they're very likely to be sitting on a desk where footage, which is completely unedited, is coming across their screen and they're dealing with, you know, UGC. Um, so we have to think about all of these things. And then online trolling is obviously something which, you know, some of them have experienced. Building resilience and, and an awareness of these things is as important as learning the latest bit of software. In fact, it's Sorry, it's more important than learning this bit of software because any news organisation will teach you what they use to edit 
I think it's much more important that you have those what you might call soft skills, but I think are absolutely crucial skills in order to sustain as a journalist in the industry as it is now. Yeah, this is such a hard line to tread. I know that you've covered this, this sense of trying to let them know that it's a difficult industry out there for journalists right now and not putting them off in the pursuit of, yeah. you know, trying to let them know, you know, because it's not just, as you say, being sent to a war zone. That's the that's the trouble. It's the online abuse that goes with it. Or you could just be walking down the street with a BBC lanyard on and getting, you know, chased down the street. Okay. All of these, all of the attacks towards journalists, the abuse of journalists is much closer to home now. And it's mm. difficult to put them into the picture without putting them off the industry yeah. altogether. And that's something, that's a challenge that actually I think sits at the heart of the of the book. You know, you know, what journalism should we teach, as we say. We're also encouraging them to critique journalism, to be healthily sceptical. Mm. Uh, you want them to be able to find that they have the resor- access to resources that they have within themselves, and they absolutely do, in order to do their job. So when it comes to journalism curriculums, it's easy to focus on individual changes. We'll shortly be talking about podcasting as a new module introduced by Bournemouth University, recognising a growing media trend. But if I take anything from the conversation so far, what really matters when it comes to preparing students for the industry are the enduring softer skills, values, emotional intelligence, and helping them figure out what sort of a journalist they really want to be. When it comes to podcasting, the bigger picture is what it means for changing attitudes towards personalities in the news and the age-old question about the blurring lines of objectivity. Our colleague who is who's very keen on podcasting, the question he put to the students was, is podcasting journalism? And most of the responses that came back were that it, it, they love it and they listen to them, but it's not because it's opinion and it's done is different. Um and we had a good debate about that, actually, because, of course, you know, we listen to lots of podcasts. I certainly listen to lots where balance is always brought into the conversation and they're quite, it's just a, a freer form. You know, you can have very informative podcasts like the Gaza Israel, Lise Doucette podcast at the moment, which I think are fantastic, you know, every day covering an aspect of the conflict and, and teaching people about it. But in a way which I think people who know a bit can access as well and learn and those who know very little can also um, to you know like the news agents where they thrash out at, in a very amusing way but very very clever and intense way an issue of the day uh, the, the rest is politics I mean there's so many of them you know newscast so I think they they add value to our understanding and for me I suppose I'm wondering, thinking about this slightly out loud, but, you know, long form read, long reads, which, you know, perhaps now are a little more challenging. I think particularly for younger people, the podcasts are sort of replaced them because they'll go on a run or be on the bus listening to a podcast. and It won't feel like they're having to wade through thousands of words in a long read in a newspaper or a magazine. And so I think you can be quite investigative as well and certainly in depth. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I think I didn't appreciate as much when I was a student, which is that where I suppose news and media kind of sits in the broader ecosystem. I kind of just thought it was in its own bubble and did its own thing. But with with podcasting especially, you know, news podcasts kind of live in that world, whether they like it or not, and they have to kind of compete for attention and time, you know, alongside that. So I wonder if students will become more aware of the the broader ecosystem through podcasts. 
Yes, I think I think that's a really good point. I think they probably will. I mean, I think they're aware enough from my just my tiny little unscientific, you know, snapshot uh, with, with the group I described to you that they're quite personality driven often. Um, but I do agree with you that news podcasts are perhaps less so. But what what we are listening to is people who are experienced. It's what I was saying earlier about the lived experiences of others. You know, it, it's another way of accessing those, isn't it? Because they're able to bring a bit of their own autobiography in. That's what I think is so fascinating. Uh, and so you get to know them as a person. So, for example, you'll listen to Jeremy Bowen on a podcast talking about you know, you you really get a sense of how many times he has been to a particular part of Israel at the moment, or how well he knows it, and fleshing out and and using some some uh, anecdote, but some more more colour perhaps than he might be able to use in a in a you know a news piece. Mm. Um, uh, and it's not any less balanced for that. It's just I think it adds interest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think it's a way into the news ecosystem for young people through possibly those personalities as well. I'll tell you what podcasting has also done, which is it's, I suppose, reduced the barrier to entry for journalists in the sense of anyone can start a podcast now. Mm-hmm. It would have been comparatively much harder to start your own radio station many years back. And what you've kind of seen more broadly in this media ecosystem is a rise of entrepreneurial journalism, where people have started up their own Substack newsletters, their own podcasts, their own endeavors as as a means to getting started in the industry. And I think that's one of the great evolving skill sets now for journalists is just to be aware of being a brand, I suppose, and and getting your own name out there and, and maybe having your own voice, your own platform. Yeah. I agree with you, you know, that idea of what sort of journalist are you as a unique person, you know, who are, are you, what do you bring? Uh, because everyone brings something. And I think, I think as you say, you can yeah. bring that out in podcasting. I mean, we talk in the book, there's a really interesting chapter about developing an entrepreneurial mindset. So rather than just learning skills, you know, we always used to bang on about you need a good CV and you need, you know, the, the sort of the, the fundamentals of, of being um, employable and entrepreneurial, given that many journalists will end up freelancing or on short term contracts or with, you know, portfolio careers for perhaps many years, maybe forever. If they choose to. Personally, I know many graduates who are living very good lives in that way. But this this particular chapter looks at the entrepreneurial mindset. There's something that holds the whole book together. It is about that. It's about thinking about those softer skills as you might call them it's about the way you think about the world isn't it and you know how do we teach that and I do I agree with you the physical uh, representation of that might well be a podcast about something that they're really passionate about for sure but also I think it's perhaps about the spaces that they're operating in not always being in a newsroom and that that's written about in the chapter not necessarily always thinking about the obvious, you know, news flow, workflow of a, of a news day, but thinking about different workflows and different spaces in which stories can be created. I just think it's about being aware that it's a possibility, I suppose. I mean, there's been a couple of really good success stories really in, in recent years of new startups just, you know, kind of flying out the gates with very humble beginnings. The, the mill in Manchester being kind of the prime example, a subset newsletter based around local news wanting to provide an alternative for people that were frustrated with the status quo and just to be aware that there's an alternative if you don't want to necessarily do it that way i think there's you know a tendency to think that um young people are kind of a bit more willing to take a bit of a risk on their own brand and their own content production so um yeah it's it's 
certainly an, uh, an, an emerging trend from my perspective. Yeah, I think that's a key phrase you just used there, taking a risk. And I think, you know, I, I think it's really important that we as educators yep. um, show show that taking a risk and actually sometimes getting things wrong is, is okay. You know, I'm not saying ending yourself up in court because you didn't know your law. But I mean, you know, take a risk and maybe if the story doesn't quite work, I think there can be, you know, because students will be so used to having past exams, take being taught to the test and um, that, you know, they're perhaps not wanting to take risks, thinking about what is the right way of doing this. And I think, you know, when they hear, well, there is not necessarily a right way of doing this, you know, let's think about what different routes into it you might take, i.e. a story, then that might be a bit frightening. They're like, oh, my God, well, this is, you know, you're meant to tell me how to do this. So I think investing in them confidence, how difficult is it to teach confidence, but investing in students the confidence to follow their gut, take a risk, see if something will work in a well-informed way, which means they don't put themselves or others at risk in terms of physically or, or, or mentally. But, you know, by that, I mean being creative, really. 100%. Yeah, and and to be clear, it is legacy news organisations that are also experimenting. I can't count how many times over the past five years of doing this job I've spoken to a news organisation and said, well, why are you launching this? Why are you doing that? And it's just, we want to experiment. We want to see if this works. There are so many more news organisations now are willing to take those creative leaps just to see if there's an audience there that cares, just to see if that's a platform that's viable. And that is, you know, a really, really critical skill to foster for the future, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think if yeah, if if graduates can come in with ideas mm. and with ideas and with a sense of how they might execute them, yeah. you know, that's that's what news organisations want, don't they? It's a very desirable skill set, yeah. Yeah, it's a very desirable skill set. So, And if you think, well, actually, I'll also, you know, I'll try this. Let's just try it. Let's use that word experiment. I don't think it's a word that's used enough within the journalistic world and I think I think that you know if, if the academy can do anything in terms of leading or driving change yeah. producing graduates who who bring bring those that way of thinking about the world into into the industry doesn't mean that we've ripped down the J schools but does mean I think that we're showing industry perhaps that uh everything doesn't have to be done in the way that it always was and as you say if industry is receptive to that because they're experimenting too then that's great we meet in the middle it's it's strange to me because um, it wasn't that long ago that I was on a journalism course. And of course, students are shielded from so much of this conversation. They don't realise how much fine tuning and recalibration goes into the curriculum. So it's it's kind of refreshing for me to just see and hear about all of the uh, the thinking and the pulling that goes into it. But I think we need to show them that and bring them into the conversation. And that's what we we're, we're really we're trying to do with this, that you know, it's not something that's just devised carefully and then obviously we have accrediting bodies we conform to too and then delivered and you're expected to digest this and engage with it and pass your exams and go out and be a good journalist. Yeah. It's about showing them how messy and difficult and challenging and unfinished it is actually. The final place I'd like to leave this is we've spoken a lot about new ways of working, but what about new ways of collaborating? And I just wonder if there are any ways that you're thinking about uh, narrowing the gap, I suppose, between academia and industry, and ways to work with you know people listening in right now, um, uh, peers you know working in the industry. What can journalism schools and newsrooms do to maybe foster a better working collaboration together? 
it can be done in any number of ways. It can be done in quite formal ways, and it is it is in certain places, you know, where you might you might have the BBC or a large news organisation on your doorstep of a university, and the connections are obvious because it's physical. It's it's in that space. Um, there's the whole you know Jay Rosen model from many years back, where each of his MA students would work with um, an industry partner to produce their final project. So you can do things on that level. And, you know, there are institutions doing all of these things. Um, And we're always seeking to work as closely with industry as we possibly can. I think it's about offering opportunity. I think coming in to talk to students and encouraging them to come into your newsrooms uh, not only on placement, but just to visit so that you're, again, you're just breaking down any sense of mystique around these things. And, I mean, collaborative journalism is such a thing now. You know, we see award-winning investigations that are built out of collaborations. So I would hope that there might be opportunities for, you know, some really good student work to perhaps be taken up by but engage with student mm. websites. You know, all the universities have externally facing websites. Look at the work that's out. Nerve media. Yeah, tap, in, <laughs> tap into, tap into the student media and the, what they're producing within their courses as well. And actually, this is one of the points made in the book by one of the young journalists we interviewed. He says, you know, he felt all this work he was producing on his course was great, and it was going on the website. But who was really looking at it? And mm. while students produce showreels and course leaders are very aware of the need to as you say you know sell your brand and all of that it is actually quite a difficult thing to do on any sort of scale so yeah. I think if if there was that sense that industry was actually looking to see what was there and I know there are some individuals in the industry who really do connect amazingly I'll give a shout out to Jackie Long at Channel 4 here who's amazing at going into journalism courses and engaging with students and always looking for for new ideas and there, there's lots of very good mentoring going on I think mentoring is another really great way that the industry can help Karen this has been fascinating thank you ever so much for your time to speak to me and come on our podcast I really do appreciate it it's been my pleasure thank you for asking me I think the takeaway from today is that there will always be another shiny piece of technology or exciting new platform some of those might stand the test of time others might not What remains consistent and what both educators and news leaders can foster in young journalists is that purpose of journalism, wanting to serve audiences, particularly those historically underserved and having positive social impact. But what did you take from today? Find me on Twitter slash X at JPG Journalism or email me on jacobatjournalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, that's SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search and subscribe to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.